You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, Dubious Diagnoses. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores the intersection of science and society. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or send us an email at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at l-u-e-e-podcast.com. My name is Laura Creek Newbin, and I'll be your host tonight. And with me, I have Ashlyn Noble. Hello. Lauren Bailey. Hello. And Jem Newman. Hi. Thanks for joining me, everyone. It's exciting to host every once in a while, and especially when I'm feeling uh, quite excited about a topic. So today we're talking about some dubious diagnoses, which are basically some medical conditions that are somewhat common, but don't or probably don't exist. I came across a few of these or was reminded of a few of these recently, and I thought this would be an excellent topic to cover because, again, there is there is always a, a wealth of these types of conditions out there. So to start us off tonight, Jem is going to tell us about a little-known condition called Morgellons. Morgellons disease is a disorder characterized by neurological symptoms, most prominently fatigue and the ever-present brain fog, musculoskeletal pain, and sores that most strikingly contain colored hairs or fibers growing from them. The syndrome was first identified by Mary Lytow, who went on to found the Morgellons Research Foundation, which was granted nonprofit status in the United States in 2004. In 2001, Leitao's two-year-old began to complain of subcutaneous bugs, and she noticed that he had developed sores on his body. Examining these sores with her son's toy microscope, she discovered vivid fibers of red, white, blue, and black growing from them. After consulting with countless specialists and receiving unsatisfactory answers, Leitao turned to an obscure letter by English polymath Sir Thomas Brown, in which he wrote, Quote, Hairs which have most amused me have not been in the face or head, but on the back, and not in men, but children, as I long ago observed in the endemial distemper of little children in Languedoc, called the Morgellons, wherein they critically break out with harsh hairs on their backs, which takes off the unquiet symptoms of the disease, and delivers them from coughs and convulsions. She concluded that the disease described by Brown must also be afflicting her son, and she put together a website dedicated to the condition. According to Leitao, she was hoping to hear from scientists and physicians who might be able to explain this Morgellons phenomenon, but she claims that she was instead inundated with responses from thousands of people who were suffering from the same condition and whose doctors refused to believe them. But what was the answer proffered by the medical community to explain this disorder? The answer that Leitao was so loath to accept. The medical <laughs> consensus is that these are cases of what's known as delusional parasitosis. 
The word delusional might instinctively raise some hackles, so it's worth unpacking what that means here. From a medical perspective, a delusion is a fixed false belief, that is to say, a belief that is immune to the overwhelming persuasive evidence that it isn't true. However, it's worth noting that the majority of people who hold an individual delusional belief are fully functional people, and these beliefs do not interfere with their day-to-day activities. Delusional parasitosis, also called delusional infestation, or Ekbom syndrome, is a syndrome characterized by the fixed false belief that an individual is infested with parasites of some sort, typically worms, fungus, mites, or in the case of Morgellons disease, living threads. If it is true that Morgellons is simply a manifestation of delusional parasitosis, Many of the nonspecific symptoms, fatigue, muscle aches, brain fog, may conceivably be psychogenic. But what of the sores? And more perplexingly, what of the fibers found growing in them? Any guesses? Uh, the sores are self-inflicted and the fibers are from fabrics. That's exactly right. So the sores come from scratching. The patients scratch themselves. I'll quote from the up-to-date article on delusional infestation authored by Dr. Catherine Su. Patients commonly present for general medical or dermatologic care, rather than psychiatric care, with a fixed false belief of infestation. They typically describe pruritus, that is to say itching, and frequently have exoriations, skin picking, from scratching. They often have a history of dermatologic complaints, including rashes, pruritus, and sensations of stinging, biting, or formication, a feeling that bugs are crawling on the skin. The onset is usually insidious, and most patients have symptoms for at least six months, and some many years before the diagnosis is established. As for the fibers, when analyzed, as Laura so astutely pointed out, they are consistently found to be textile fibers. The most parsimonious explanation is that they're a result of patients' clothing sticking to the sores and some of the fibers coming off. Delusional parasitosis is, uh, from my understanding, the the most common instance uh, in which somebody will have a single fixed false belief. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, though, that you, like, where did you get that information? Uh, From the up-to-date article about it. Oh, (laughs) up-to-date is is a a very uh, useful resource for for physicians. It's It's like a medical reference. It's like an encyclopedia, kind of. Make sure that it is up-to-date. Yes. (laughs) The first time you said it, I thought you were just using it as a description. Yeah, yes, yeah. it is an update. Not everybody article. here checks up to date on a daily basis <laughs> like we do, Jem. <laughs> we're not doctors. We're medical professionals. And they want me to to uh, claim my CME credits for all of the up-to-date research that I do. I'm like, little do you know, I'm not yet eligible for CME credits. Now, delusional parasitosis can be either a primary or secondary. So it can, it can arise sort of on its own as a delusion, and sometimes it can be triggered by an actual infection that then is cleared up, or it can be brought on secondarily by uh, most commonly substance abuse or head trauma. Yeah. Mm. Morgellons is not the only example of delusional parasitosis. It can People can be convinced they're infected with uh, all sorts of things, and that can result in some harmful uh, behaviors uh, as people try to clear the infection or infestation. So... Quoting again from Dr. Su, Patients may provide bizarre and unlikely stories concerning their infestation, including exhaustive descriptions of the parasite's appearance, habitat, reproductive cycle, and points of body entry and egress. 
many have repeatedly had exterminators into their homes, and have sprayed themselves and their homes with potentially toxic pesticides. Some sufferers may move or rid themselves of their personal belongings in the hopes of ending the problem. End quote. Now, some advocates for those who suffer from Morgellons, and sufferers of Morgellons themselves, have proposed that the disease may be caused by the Borrelia spirochete, that's the bacterium responsible for Lyme disease, which would put it in a similar, and similarly disputed, category with chronic Lyme. In fact, several studies published between 2013 and 2015 reported spirochetes in Morgellons patients, and with the aid of electron microscopy, disputed the textile origin of the fibers, claiming that they were composed of keratin and collagen. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? So, so, th- so these would be not only biological in origin, but, but animal or fungal in origin. I want to know where they got the blue. Yes, yes, that's Sorry, what I'm wondering. <laughs> but it is worth noting that these studies were all from a single group of investigators and contradict an earlier, larger study from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which found no evidence for infection of any kind. The skin lesions, uh, according to the CDC, were consistent with chronic skin picking and bug bites, and what fibers were found were composed not of keratin and collagen, but of cellulose, that is to say plant fibers. The investigators thought it was most likely cotton. It is also worth pointing out that even if some of these fibers were keratinous in origin, keratin doesn't rule out the clothing stuck to the wound hypothesis, because wool is made of keratin. Our hair (laughs) is made of keratin. A 2008 Washington Post article on Morgellons noted that the online communities devoted to the disease were awash in conspiracy theories, with proposed explanations for Morgellons that included nanobots, chemtrails, and extraterrestrials. Nice, nice progression there, I like it. (laughs) Wikipedia reports that the Morgellons Research Foundation, originally uh, begun by Lei Tao in 2004, although she claims that it was founded in her mind in 2002. Wikipedia reports that it was uh, shuttered in 2012. But their website is still up today and lists a board chaired by Dr. William T. Harvey, MD. The site has a strong GeoCities vibe, uh, though I can confirm that it was built in WordPress. <laughs> uh, and is it's Dr. Harvey a rabbit? <laughs> There's a Jimmy Stewart movie called Harvey, where he his best friend is a six-foot-tall talking rabbit it that is, only he can see. It is a lovely film. It is. I made Laura watch it with me. It is a lovely film. Ab- and Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jim, I cut you off there to make a Jimmy Stewart joke because that's what the kids are into these days. (laughs) That'll that'll buoy our plummeting listenership numbers. That'll play in Poughkeepsie. (laughs) Tell your friends about our podcast. No one listens to us anymore. (laughs) I can see why. The Morgellons.org front page uh, currently features an article attributed to Citizen Researcher Blue, headlined, quote, Chemtrails and Morgellons, it's worse than you thought, alongside ads for Zinni Optical and 1-800-CONTACTS. It appears that the site has not been substantively updated since 2014. Well, I mean, maybe that's good. Maybe there are less people who are suffering under this delusion. It's possible. But a lot of these things tend to attach themselves to the um, the explanation du jour. Yeah. So, just so we can do a quick recap here. 
Someone using a not scientific microscope that was probably not clean to scientific standards looked at something and did zero additional research, made assumptions, and started a charitable foundation on this. Well, she did some additional research. Uh, she somehow stumbled across this paper from 1690. Right. So, so what the, I meant she, is that she describes it as like uh, as like a French medical paper, but th- this guy was an English polymath. It was just a letter to his friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she stumbled across whatever going down the rabbit hole of Google at the time yeah. or or whatever she was doing. But what I meant is that she didn't actually get this tested by not toy microscope labs. So, not really. No. Okay. Like okay. She, good. Like good. I just wanted to, to make sure to uh, to a series of physicians, including uh, a man who is described as basically the 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 house the doctor house of pediatrics, who was um, reputed to be able to sort of solve any unknown pediatric condition, and like Doctor House, uh, told her she had Munchausen by proxy. <laughs> she was unsatisfied with the explanation that she was provided, and so. Forged her own path. Okay. Great. Excellent. I think we're going to run into that a lot tonight, because when people hit that wall of, I don't know what the heck is wrong with my kid or myself, they make some logical leaps that don't make sense to those of us sitting outside. Yeah. And it is okay to, like, like it's painful, it's hard to to not know. It's possible mm-hmm. that it, that not all of these are cases of um, uh, delusional parasitosis. Uh, there might be other other things at play here, but Morgellons does not provide an explanatory framework that makes any sense. And in fact, when you look at the original description, it bears absolutely no resemblance to this actual disease. You know, the the, the black hairs sprouting from the back. I mean, the original Morgellons sore that uh, she found was on uh, just below the lip on her son. And the fibers were multicolored, not just black, and they were described as coarse hair, uh, and they heralded, uh, you know, a cough, which her son did not have. Like, none, of, none of the descriptors really line up, so. Right. Right. Well, like, there have been people who have put them under good microscopes. Yep. Just not before she started that organization. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of people have refuted her. Yeah. I got really into researching this one for a while, quite a few years ago, and I just remember like thinking about how hard it would be if your doctor kept telling you that you there was nothing wrong with you, but you were absolutely convinced that there was. Yeah, and I mean that's something that a lot of people experience. I mean, this is not this is not a gray zone disease, right? Yeah. Um, unlike you can get into heated discussions about fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue that are generally better accepted, although they're, they're classified as syndromes rather than diseases because their etiology is still not well understood. So, so there are doctors who will sort of dismiss a lot of these things um, or frame them in such a way that the patient sees it as dismissive. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's not the fault of the patient necessarily. I mean, Medical communication is not great a lot of the time, but a psychogenic illness is still an illness. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are thousands of people who are turned away by their doctors when they have actual, real, diagnosable illnesses. Yeah. We don't want to, yep. yeah, we don't want to minimize that. Mm-hmm. No. And when you look at the, this is a kind of a, a tangent, but I think it's interesting to think about when you look at the 
uh, gender breakdown of psychogenic illnesses and uh, delusional illnesses, um, and I'm using that word with intentional emphasis here, uh, they break down very asymmetrically along gender lines. And you see uh, Morgellons, for example, has, I think, a, a, a 2.6 to 3 times higher incidence in women than in men. And that is similar in most psychiatric conditions. And at that point, might begin to wonder why and whether women are predisposed toward psychiatric conditions, or why or whether our society predisposes women toward psychiatric conditions, or why or whether doctors are predisposed to diagnosing women with psychiatric conditions. Hysteria? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so we see disproportionate diagnosis in certain yeah. conditions. And so you wonder whether there's increased surveillance. Women are stereotyped having these kinds of conditions, whether women may be predisposed to have these conditions and whether that has something to do with something biological or societal. There are mm -hmm. all sorts of complex interactions there. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that comes to mind for me is we know that so many health conditions are not studied in women. They're just assumed, they're studied in men and assumed to, to present similarly in women. Right. And so women are presenting with physical things happening and are not, that's not being recognized or, or diagnosed in that way. And then it can then ma start to ma manifest as a more psychogenic type illness, which then becomes diagnosed because of perhaps gender biases. So, and that race as well. Theory. Sorry? And race as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mo we have to remember most diagnoses are based on young, healthy, white, cis men. Yeah. Anything different can be uh, dismissed. Yeah. And similarly, when you talk about race and health, um, you will get people who will use perceived or self-reported race as a proxy for likelihood of certain genetic um, conditions conditions or uh, predisposition to certain genetic markers. But when you look at like the, the huge category of people who are considered black, um, mm -hmm. it is incredibly diverse, com genetically speaking, diverse compared to the population of people who are considered white, largely. Mm -hmm. In groups and out groups. Yeah. Um, and so that does not actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Because the, the, the way races are constructed is, well... That's for <laughs> let, another let, podcast. Yeah, that's for our critical race theory podcast. <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's keep on the, the dubious diagnoses. But thank you, Jim, for, for going over that. That's... Whew, that's something. <laughs> All right. So I meant to say at the beginning, but I'm going to say it now. I wanted to structure this from the least plausible to the most plausible for these likely fake diagnoses. So we're going to move slightly up on the plausibility chain. And Ashlyn is going to talk to us about something that I've seen a resurgence of lately. I've heard that I have these little glands on top of my kidneys, the, the adrenals, and they get really tired sometimes. So are they fatigued, Ashlyn? Cute little guys are real tuckered down. So is plausibility chain the, uh, the backbone of, like, dubious coin? Or, uh... <laughs> oh, 
blockchain. It's a blockchain joke. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even go that far. It was it was structured like a blockchain <laughs> joke. It was a bad joke. <laughs> well, Laura, that ties in so well with the beginning of our my segment that it seems like we coordinated this, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it. So, Laura, how many of these symptoms do you have? Uh, are you ever tired or fatigued to the point where you don't want to get out of bed? Daily. Uh, have you been experiencing poor sleep? Off and on. Uh, do you ever feel anxious, nervous, or just run down? Oh, yes. Do you ever crave salty or sweet snacks? I have my second cookie in front of me. <laughs> uh, do you ever have gut problems? Sometimes. Wow, you you have all of the symptoms of adrenal fatigue. <gasps> so do I. Oh my god. What? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. You may be able to get a naturopath to diagnose you. <laughs> well, may? There's, may? One in. there's one down the street. <laughs> Go lick his doorknob and ask. <laughs> so these are the commonly accepted symptoms uh, of adrenal fatigue. Uh, people who feel stressed out about life, they're tired all the time, maybe they need caffeine, sometimes they want snacks, like, wow. <laughs> Lauren's just raising their hand. <laughs> I want snacks and tea at all times. <laughs> and of course, these symptoms are maddeningly nonspecific. They don't really mean anything. They're lifestyle symptoms. So a chiropractor in the 1990s decided that this was a niche that he could fit into. So he <laughs> made up the term adrenal fatigue and started selling extremely expensive supplements to treat it. <laughs> oh, you just got to love any disease that you both discover and have the cure for immediately. <laughs> like that's that's gold. That's what chiropractors are known for, right? <laughs> we, on the other hand, are known for... Being incredibly dry, but also inserting, like, I don't know, morning drive time sound drops. So, who wouldn't want to listen? <laughs> Please listen to our podcast. We're literally shouting into the void for a decade. Just That's our new tagline. At this point. <laughs> the idea behind this disease that doesn't exist... <laughs> is that the adrenal glands, which, as Laura mentioned, are on top of the kidneys, uh, they produce a lot of hormones, including cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Dun, dun. There's more of it in your body when you're stressed, usually. When you're constantly stressed, your adrenal glands get tired and quit producing enough of the hormones you need. That is the theory behind adrenal fatigue. But it's not true. It's okay. not true. So, so what studies did this chiropractor do? Zero. Okay. <laughs> just just said, I think these glands get tired, therefore... I actually have no idea. Didn't find any information about that. Uh, I tried doing, like, adrenal fatigue history, and I did not get any reputable websites talking about Would the they... history of it. So, uh, part of your body getting tired and running out of hormone sounds kind of plausible. That's kind of what happens with type 2 diabetes. Kind <laughs> of. Like, there's, there's the tiniest kernel of plausibility, but it's not true. When you're stressed, your body does produce more cortisol, but 
unless you have damage to very specific parts of your body, including those glands or the pituitary gland, you your body just produces more cortisol in times of stress, and it's fine. So it just keeps doing its job, kind of like how the liver just kind of keeps doing its job for the most part. Yeah, it just keeps chugging along, doing what it's doing, and... So there are, of course, diseases that result when there is an insufficient amount of those hormones, and that is called adrenal insufficiency, insufficiency. not Whoa. fatigue. Yeah. Right, because fatigue implies like, oh, it just needs a little nap, <laughs> and then it'll be okay, whereas insufficiency is like, no, it actually can't produce anymore, and that's now a permanent state of being. Right. There is no article on up-to-date about adrenal fatigue, but there are articles about adrenal insufficiency, of course. Practitioners who believe in adrenal fatigue will often tell their patients to do all the typical things. Reduce stress in your life. Exercise more. Have a better sleeping routine. Uh, As one endocrinologist put it, whose work I read, doing those things will make almost anyone feel better. Yeah. 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 Like, none of this is bad advice. Your adrenal gland isn't fatigued. You are. (laughs) As you say, Laura, it's called adrenal fatigue because they figure if you give it a break, it'll be fine. But it's actually just fine. Through transitive properties, if you are fatigued, isn't your adrenal gland fatigued just by being part of you? I don't think a single molecule (laughs) of water is wet. But does it have a memory? Oh. (laughs) Only of all the poo it's had. Some practitioners who are less ethical will try and prescribe outrageously expensive supplements. Uh, Some of them include things like ground-up bovine adrenal glands. So if you wanted to know what a human one is, you could have like an adjacent one, although you are a vegetarian, so you probably object. The supplements on this guy's website who came up with it, I'm not even going to say his name because... Yeah, let's let's not drive any traffic over there. <laughs> sells a month's worth of supplements at the minimum recommended dose is $200 a month. And he sells these to, there's so much information on, like when I first Googled adrenal fatigue, there was so much stuff about like how to tell if you have adrenal fatigue, what foods to eat to fix your adrenal fatigue, yada, yada, yada. Like if I didn't know from Laura telling me this is a fake diagnosis you could try and research, like it's, sure, maybe I, maybe my tiredness is because my kidney glands are giving out. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, There's just so much bad information out there. And one of the, uh, one of the articles that I read was clearly aimed at practitioners and was talking about uh here is a website you can go to read some of the alternative facts that your patients may be reading (laughs) oh my oh yeah anyway some people who buy into this hardcore uh even manage to get themselves put on a treatment regimen that includes supplementary hormones like people who have um the real adrenal adrenal insufficiency insufficiency would get put on and this of course is not a good idea um no uh so adrenal insufficiency uh also doesn't have like a ton of overlap in symptoms um the characteristics are Weight loss, joint pain, anorexia, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, dry skin, low blood pressure, uh, but and also fatigue. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the one catch-all symptom. Right. And there are some more specific and quantifiable bits in there, like low blood pressure is something you can measure. Yeah. You can also measure cortisol levels. <laughs> right, yeah. 
those are those are also difficult because they do fluctuate yeah, through the day. Sure. They fluctuate based on hormonal cycles and stress levels and all sorts of things like that. So that's it's a little bit more complicated than just that's saying fair. what's my com- my fair. cortisol right now. But yes, you can. And if you suspect true adrenal insufficiency, you would go see an endocrinologist, someone who actually knows about hormones, and they would probably do some kind of a series of tests yeah. for this kind of thing. Right. Uh, so as I mentioned, one of the problems with the increasing number of people getting quote unquote diagnosed with adrenal fatigue is the possibility that they might seek out those hormones. And this can actually cause the adrenal glands to shut down and take a break, actually. Like they just, right. they breaks that link between the pituitary gland, the adrenal glands and the body systems, and it just shuts everything down so that the, like if there's enough of it in your body already, your adrenal glands stop producing. Yeah. And even after you stop taking those hormones, that your adrenal glands can stay dormant for months. Yeah. Like it can really screw you up. <laughs> You're totally going to muck up your homeostasis. Yeah. Like so basically every hormone in the body has varying degrees of complexity in their self-regulatory mechanisms. Some of them are looking at how much of this hormone do I have? Should I squirt out more of it or not? Some of them are looking at how much of this end product do I have? Some of them are, you know, there there are all sorts of different lengths of causal loops going on there. Mm-hmm. But if you're just inserting your own hormone in there, like, that's going to cause problems. Yeah. yeah. It's not just vitamins. You can't just pee it out if you have too much in your system. Yeah. And then if you do encounter some sort of unusual physical or mental stress, then your body's not going to be able to keep up with that. Bad idea. Don't do it. Yeah. That's why your body puts out more cortisol. Yeah. Those particular. And just to be clear, like B and C are really the ones that you'll, that you'll pee out if you have too much. (laughs) A, D, E, and K are uh, bad news bears if you take too much of those. True. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be uh, throwing around vitamin misknowledge. A a, a lot of the ones that people would be on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a lot of my sources, I was really heartened to find that it was really being stressed that doctors shouldn't just dismiss patients with adrenal fatigue, like when they came come in saying, I think I have this, uh, and that they should instead like validate their symptoms mm-hmm. and sort of guide them toward like, well, I don't think that this fits, but maybe you have depression or anemia or something else that actually does explain some of the symptoms that they're coming. Because the, the symptoms are still valid. If you can't get out of bed, maybe you need some help with that. Yeah. Absolutely. There are lots of reasons you don't want to just dismiss somebody's symptoms. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most obvious of which should be, that's not good patient care. <laughs> um but it's also going to drive them into the arms of people who are peddling these kinds of expensive non-treatments. Yeah. There's often a fear that if you don't shut down that incorrect information, that you have done a disservice somehow. Mm. But it's not a dichotomy. It's not a either I say, no, that's fake and you don't have it, or... Yes, you have it. That, that's not how it actually works. There's mm-hmm. it, it's there's a lot of middle ground, and there's so there are ways to say, you know, like like you said, Ashlyn, I don't think that's really fitting, or you know, we're looking at these things, and that it seems like the other these markers are looking like they're working fine. 
perhaps we can explore this or I have this idea or, you know, what what makes you really like what makes that idea really stick with you compared to this other idea and exploring that. So there are lots of ways of doing that as well. So one big thing I've learned is shutting things down is satisfying for the person saying it, but not for the person receiving it. And so when you are providing patient care, it only matters really how the person receiving it takes it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your ego says, as satisfying as it is. And that's why we have venues like this where I can talk about this kind of stuff. (laughs) Just say, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake. It's a fake. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a really important caveat. And especially now. One of the problems that practitioners are apparently encountering is that some naturopaths and whatnot will offer a blood test or a saliva test for cortisol levels, Mm -hmm. which apparently are uh, one of the, what was it say? These are not backed by current scientific evidence. (laughs) (laughs) And so if your patient comes to you saying, well, he gave me a test though, and it showed this, like, uh, it's really hard to be like, well, sorry, that test doesn't actually work. It's bullshit. (laughs) It's the Oxford capacity analysis for your blood. That's the Scientology test. Uh, it's, but that is what's, that is scary. And I will talk about that a little bit too, that you can get these tests. And sometimes it, these types of practitioners can order actual tests and it comes down to the interpretation of yeah. things. And that's the scariest to me. Like something that is a test that it's like, okay, it's a test, but it's not a thing. So that's, we can talk about that. But another thing is like, yo, no, yeah, that's actually a test that we do. But what you've heard about this from your results, that's a lot more difficult to entangle. So yeah, but having that paper, right? And you paid for it too, because pretty much all of these tests are not covered by any kind of insurance plans or or things like that. So you've got a whole lot of investment bias going on here too. And you have a practitioner looking at you saying you need to do this and this, and I know I can fix this for you in, I'm going to say 90% of the cases. I'm just throwing that number out there. Sorry if there's some skeptical (laughs) naturopaths. The the page that I was directed to as like, here's a, a page that was written about this that was aimed at patients said something along the lines, and I found it quite interesting that they would try and use this angle, but persuasive. If you do pursue testing or treatment for this, your insurance probably won't cover it because it's not a recognized illness. Cool. Well, thank you for that rundown, Ashlyn. That that was excellent. And I'm honestly, I'm surprised that you hadn't really heard of this one before because I hear it constantly, but I know that's the bubble in which I live. So I'm glad it was something new for you. So Lauren, you brought an extra tidbit for us today, and this is one that I've never heard of, and you're going to tell us a little bit about Wilson's thyroid syndrome? Speaking of a laundry list of symptoms that turn themselves into a diagnosis, in the 1980s, a new thyroid problem was all the rage, WTS. That's an S, not an F. Hmm. Wilson's thyroid syndrome or Wilson's temperature syndrome. Either way, it was named for its discoverer, E. Dennis Wilson. The E stands for he's not the beach boy. WTS has nothing to do with Wilson's disease, 
which is a real thing, and it happens when your liver can't filter out the copper in your body, which gives you copper poisoning. Mm-hmm. Do you turn any colors? Your eyes do. Your irises do. Yeah. That's that's one of the signs. You see, I think it's a little orange, like an orange circle yeah. around. Oh, that's how so they, between that and liver function tests, that's how you, you uh, suspect it. That's how they diagnose it on house. Excellent. <laughs> You're like, list of diseases I'd be okay with having. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that makes me look like a fantasy character. Got it. I love the metal ones that turn me different colors. <laughs> so colloidal silver turns you blue. So I thought that maybe copper turns you a different cool color. Wouldn't it be cool if you had both? Which one turns you purple? That's what I want purple dye (laughs) (laughs) but so much of it isn't light fast that's the problem laura (sighs) okay so we've just we've established that wilson's disease is a real thing that turns your eyes colors and ashlyn wants it even though it's terrible okay wts on the other hand is a fake disease prevalent in alternative medicine circles and can be blamed for a host of random symptoms by its you know diagnosers is that a word Whatever. (laughs) Apparently, it gets diagnosed when your base body temperature is too low, which causes your thyroid to not convert T4 to T3. I'm not attempting to pronounce the actual... Doctors never do either. No, I know. That's why I put T3 and (laughs) T4. Yeah. But even though your your thyroid is not converting T4 to T3, your thyroid still tests as normal. That is one of the major triggers... (laughs) So of this WTS. One of the major signs that this diagnosis makes no sense. Exactly. Wait, so is this supposed to be some kind of subclinical hypothyroidism? Yeah. Okay. But it's not subclinical because it's having clinical symptoms. But that's that's the whole idea of subclinical hypothyroidism. You take your tests and you're either like on the extreme of normal, but you're having all the symptoms. You'll learn about this, Jim. No, I know. <laughs> Well, speaking of symptoms, Wilson claimed that WTS can manifest as anything, including, are we ready? Fatigues. What? Headaches. <laughs> what? PMS. <laughs> hair loss. Wait, what? We know what causes PMS. <laughs> like, like, this is a very obvious thing. Yeah. PMS doesn't stand for anything, Ashlyn. It just stands for, like, women behaving ways I don't want them to behave, <laughs> being mean to me. Having emotions. Yeah. <laughs> the next one on the list is irritability. <laughs> Men get irritable, women get PMS. <laughs> Fluid retention, <laughs> depression, decreased memory, low sex drive, unhealthy nails, and easy weight gain. These are all symptoms of Wilson's thyroid syndrome. I have really weird nails. I might already have it. You should look at my eyes. <laughs> well, Wilson does claim that it is one of the most common of all chronic ailments and probably takes a greater toll on society than any other medical condition. It, what? It, it sounds like aging. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, okay. or like hormonal fluctuations. Yeah. So because we can't, we can't see any changes in the thyroid, the main sign of WTS is a sustained body temperature below, get ready for it, 37 degrees Celsius. What? But that's not what? even- What? That's not the number. <laughs> Yep, standard body temperature is a range, folks, with 37 <laughs> degrees in the middle. And it's not even, like, these days they're saying 37 is actually a little bit on the high side. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're lower than 37 and you're experiencing these symptoms, you might have Wilson's temperatures. That's it's how temperature he knows that yeah. it's the most widespread thing affecting society. Yeah. 
Oh my god. If you're slightly chilly and you got the PMS. (laughs) Weird, I have Wilson's thyroid syndrome every month. (laughs) Wilson treated his false syndrome by giving patients sustained release T3. Wait, more thyroid hormone when you don't need it is not a good idea. Like, hormones, as we've discussed, more is not better. (laughs) He did this until one patient died. Uh You think? He was then banned from prescribing this treatment. In 1992, Wilson was disciplined by the Florida Board of Medicine, and he was banned, excuse me, he was disciplined for promoting his phony diagnosis. Discipline included a six-month suspension of his medical license, $10,000 fine, and that he submit to psychological testing. If you are promoting a phony diagnosis, you shouldn't lose your license for six months. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's controversy and we're learning new things all the time, but there's debated theories that have merit and then there's ones that are full of it, which is this. Mm -hmm. This one doesn't even turn your eyes different colors. (laughs) Right! Like, how can it be a disease if your eyes don't turn colors? I mean, as we've talked about before, I can sort of see how having a diagnosis gives people comfort. It does. And that's why this is still diagnosed to today. Like even to today, through alternative practitioners, if your symptoms don't make any sort of diagnostic sense, and you've heard of Wilson's disease, so that mm-hmm. word, the word Wilson is kicking around in your mm-hmm. head, going, Wilson! oh yeah, that's something very serious. I saw that. I, I heard about that on Donahue because, of course, it's 1980 in here. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that kind of slap on the wrist uh, is very common in medical yeah practice, both in the United States and Canada, because there's. You know, doctors have a very vocal. We both have the the regulatory uh, mechanisms. We also have a very vocal lobby. So in Manitoba, we have Doctors Manitoba, which is our professional association. And these organizations uh, will often like lobby against kind of overregulation. Yeah, and will you know defend doctors up until the point where it's very clear that that there's nothing that they can like do. So. The more responsibility you carry for things, the more authority you command in society, the greater the punishments should be should you cause harms, especially knowingly. Yeah. Mistakes happen, and we can all understand that. But negligence or willful ethical breaches that go on for years, you are a well-educated person, and you know this is a problem. And if you get to be the top of the chain and all of this in so many different ways, six months suspension. Like, no, mm-hmm. you you get, you should have that same amount of consequences. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't frame it as a, as a punishment so much. No, as like, it's like the- practicing medicine is not a right. No, you know, it is a privilege. Yeah. And we need to protect the public. Right. From people who have this immense amount of power and a huge potential to do harm. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the risk is so high. There is so much at stake here that the potential fallout should reflect that. Yeah. It's it's a complicated topic, but it is that is part of what you sign up for when you are taking on these positions of authority Mm -hmm. and power over people. You start being a dickhead with your diagnoses, we're going to start, you know, we'll come at you. Mm. <laughs> Newman's syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Where you pontificate and bloviate for hours. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least 
I can't maintain control of the edit on my own shows anymore. <laughs> oh. Power was taken out of my hands. Oh, well, that was great, Lauren. Thank you. I had not heard of that. And uh, I'll be on the lookout. I'll keep my ears open for, for that one. It hasn't yeah. crossed my path not yet. Not Wilson's disease. Wilson's temperature or thyroid syndrome. So now I'm going to tell you all about the condition, while not a chronic disease, is afflicting almost everybody in the population. We should be very concerned about this, and we might all be living with it right now. Would you like to hear what this this terrible thing is? Yeah. Have any of you ever heard of candida overgrowth? Mm-hmm. Well, I know Jem has because he lives with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Did you know that 90% of the population is living with this horrible infection and it's ruining our lives? That's too many percent. In- infection or colonization? <laughs> infection. Here's the key. So, candida overgrowth. Um, now, you're going to notice some similarities here, and I don't know why that is, <laughs> but uh, I wonder if any of you can relate to some of these symptoms. Um, a feeling of fatigue or feeling worn down. I like how we went the same direction here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm there. Okay. I'm just counting the okay. ones I've got. Um, digestive issues, especially bloating, especially after meals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeast feast. Got it. <laughs> Have you ever um, felt full? <laughs> <laughs> um, difficulty concentrating, uh, mood changes or swings, uh, brain fog. What was that? I wasn't listening. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, s- joint pain and just like aches and things like that. <laughs> Never had a joint okay. pain in my life. How about super strong sugar cravings? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, skin and toenail fungal infections. Okay, until you got to that, I thought we were just getting high. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about autoimmune diseases? Anybody have that? Okay. No, my arthritis is all osteo. How about um, uh, seasonal allergies or itchy ears? Anybody <laughs> Anybody have that? Okay. Yeah. I have uh, eczema in my ears. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eczema, skin issues. Yeah. Yeah. In my ears. Oh. That's hell. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for you. That sucks. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, it sounds like uh, at least a good uh, half of this table is well on its way to their their candida overgrowth diagnosis. Because cats get it? Because snowflakes here, too. (laughs) I think she legitimately has skin issues. So those are the most common symptoms of of this. And I'm like we can see, I mean, I can relate to a lot of those things and it is the affliction that's just not getting diagnosed. So let's do a little bit of a background here. Candida or candida, which every time I say it candida, Jem thinks I'm saying Canada. And so I get oh, self-conscious candida. about it. <laughs> uh, so it is a type of yeast or, or fungus that naturally colonizes various parts of the human body, particularly the gastrointestinal tract, and as well as the vagina in people who have them. So it's it's a normal part of the human microbiome. And for anybody who's not as familiar, the microbiome is the collection of all of the bacteria and fungi and all sorts of microorganisms that naturally live within us and on us. We are gross. We are gross and mostly not human. It's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Now, 
Candida is a small part of that microbiome. So the the bacterial population generally outnumbers things like yeasts or, or Candida by about three times magnitude. So so it is a really small part, but it works in concert. You know, everybody has their place in in the microbiome in the gut there. So like anything in the microbiome, things, it's always fluid, it's changing depending on what's going on, what you're eating, etc, etc. And so different populations can grow or, or decline at different rates. And so candida overgrowth is something that is possible. And it is actually a very common thing. Um, I've had it, Gem's had it, I think most of us here have probably had it at some point. What's interesting is usually when it overgrows, it overgrows in a specific part of the body. So if anybody's ever had thrush in their mouth, that's candida. That's mm-hmm. candida albicans um, growing there. Or for for people who have uh, vaginas and vulvas, the common yeast infection. And for people who don't have those but have seen a can- uh, canestin commercial, that's what that's for. Um, very common. You get that in like folds in the body too. Exactly. Yeah. So it can happen on skin. Um, and this is not the only type of yeast. There are there are many types of yeast that colonize different parts of the body. Canada's mostly in the mouth, the gastrointestinal tract, and then the the perineal area as well. So so yeast infections in those areas are most likely due to that. These things are most likely to happen when conditions are favorable. So that means when the bacterial population has gone down for some reason. So if you've taken antibiotics, that can often wipe out all the bacteria, not just the ones that are causing problems. So then that gives the the Canada a place to grow, right? It's kind of like if your neighbors move out of their house and you just decide to like annex their property, that's kind of what Canada's squatters rights. <laughs> yeah, as you do, right? Um, so that can happen. Stress is a big one too, because again, that can affect how different um, populations grow. Depressed immune response for whatever reason, especially um, if people have ha- or have something like cancer, for example, or, or on um, immune suppressing medications those types of things. So candida overgrowth exists. We know it. It's a real medical condition and you can take medications for it that work really well. And it's usually a very mild infection for most people. It's usually more annoying than it is causing problems. This is not what I'm talking about. Candida overgrowth, as diagnosed by non-accredited practicing professionals, is a totally different thing. This is a systemic type of infection here, where the candida has overgrown throughout the body and is wreaking minor havoc on you, causing all of these nonspecific symptoms here. Do you turn into the Pillsbury Doughboy? Oh, probably. There's okay. there's probably a problem here. So the, the candida isn't like moving in, annexing the neighbor's house. They're just like Jehovah's Witnessing, like door to door. I would say more like landlords. <laughs> <laughs> becoming a real problem in a lot of in in the entire neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're just they're just really they're just minor nuisances. You know, well, it's not you like know, they're taking over for the people who would diagnose this, and for the people who might feel that they have it. You know, it's, again, it's not necessarily minor. We any of these symptoms on here can feel debilitating sure. in many ways. A lot of people are able to go on with their lives. And and again, this is a huge list of nonspecific symptoms that are not well linked to each other by physiological or causal pathways. So just grouping a bunch of nonspecific symptoms together doesn't make for a diagnosis. It could make for many diagnoses. As you can see, we've presented four different things tonight. 
None of which you have, by the way. Right, right. Because <laughs> these are not real things. So that's what Canada overgrowth is. And that's why the belief is that we're all afflicted by it. That's why we're all tired. That's why we're all stressed. That's why there's so many autoimmune diseases now. Now I want to get a couple of things really clear. There's no <laughs> evidence that Canada is responsible for causing autoimmune diseases here. And especially while autoimmune diseases are somewhat linked and have genetic basis and are more likely to occur in someone who already has an autoimmune disease – it does not mean that they are all the same thing either. So again, the common cause theory doesn't hold up when it's tested yeah. here. We do have some evidence to say that people who have certain chronic autoimmune diseases, uh, especially gut-related ones, uh, have higher levels of candida than people who don't. But this is a correlation. This is not causation here. So there could be any number of reasons. And also, people who have autoimmune diseases are under more stress and have weakened immune systems. So there's a lot of well-known factors going on here. And they it, might be on some medications that exactly, promote candida growth. Exactly. Medications that specifically weaken their immune system in a lot of yeah, cases, right? Precisely. Precisely. A systemic candida infection can happen, though. It's not something that we see very often, but it does happen. In the U.S., annually, there are about 25,000 systemic candida infections. And so this is when candida enters the bloodstream and passes throughout the body here. And it can be really serious. About 25% of cases are fatal. So that's pretty significant. Yeah, that's a blood infection. <laughs> right. Yeah. What's important to know is that it happens almost entirely in people who are already very sick. So most of the cases are happening either within healthcare institutions or for in people who are being cared for for some reason. So it's happening in people who, say, have cancer, for example, or they have things like central venous catheters where they have that permanent entry into the body where pathogens can get in or they have other conditions happening. So it's opportunistic. It, it is. It's opportunistic. Exactly. So it is happening in the people who have the least defenses because that's the way that it works. There are other, it's outcompeted all of the time by the other bacteria. Classic symptoms are uh, those of a blood infection. So fever, chills, feeling acutely unwell, not vague unwell, not, oh, this sucks and I'm exhausted, but I can still drag myself to work. This is a, I am sick unwell. And then as it spreads through the body and it decides to invade different organs, it causes problems with those organs. So then you get symptoms like the symptoms of things like endocarditis, because what you want is a yeast infection in your heart. Oh, oof. So this is a serious thing. And if you had, if you truly had a systemic overgrowth of candida, you would know. There is no mistaking this for any number of the other things that we talked about. Candida overgrowth, as uh, diagnosed by Dr. Google and the people who contribute to Goo, is not a real thing. We don't have any evidence for that. But that doesn't stop them from promoting treatments. And that's why I really wanted to talk about this tonight. <laughs> because like in adrenal fatigue, where there's a diagnosis, there are supplements and a very special diet that you need to go on. So depending on the website that you look at, Treatment for candida overgrowth generally involves some types of overpriced supplements that may or may not do anything, often some proprietary lab testing of different things that, again, are not well studied or validated. The most common treatment is the anti-candida diet. So the theory here 
is, as Lauren said, you need to, instead of feed the yeast, you need to starve the yeast. And that's what's going to drive them out of your body. <laughs> they just pack up their little bindles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just imagine the little budding yeast. Like, yeah, it's, it's great. So as we all know, yeast loves sugar right? So you must remove all of the sugars and starches from your diet. That's the first thing. You- <laughs> I was going to say, I think I'm a yeast. <laughs> <laughs> so the anti-Canada diet is built on avoiding most fruits, all of your starchy vegetables, almost all of your grains, if not all of them. And of course you need to avoid gluten and dairy because is there a scam diagnosis that doesn't involve avoiding gluten and dairy? I've never heard of one. Not this decade. <laughs> this is literally everything I eat. <laughs> right, right. It's just so hard. It's not. Doable. That's how you know it's working, so- because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the base of it. Cut out half your food groups right there. You can have certain approved fats. Can you guess? Can anybody guess which one is okay? Uh, coconut? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's coconut oil. Um, You can have proteins. Can anybody guess what those proteins are allowed to eat? Those proteins proteins are allowed allowed to eat? eat? Well, the protein sources. The animals that the proteins come from. You you can only eat carnivores? No. Organic grass? Grass Grass-fed! Because of course grass-fed is always going to be that. So yeah, you can eat non-starchy vegetables. You can eat like healthy proteins and coconut oil. Um, You have to avoid... (laughs) inflammatory foods, which is basically all ultra-processed kind of snack foods, desserts, crackers, all those types of things. You need to reduce or eliminate caffeine and alcohol. You need to drink lots of water. As as we all know, yeast are just caffeine junkies. Yeah. Yeah. There's varying advice on whether or not you need to include fermented foods. So a big part of this too is that you need to eliminate yeast from your diet. But what, wait, Your eyes, Lauren. But, but I so I'm, maybe I'm still a step behind. Why do you need to eliminate alcohol? Because well, alcohol, alcohol can be a byproduct of yeast, but it's toxic. Jem, you're assuming this- that this is logical. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to at least take its premise. So <laughs> this is still less restrictive than the Jordan Peterson diet. <laughs> yes. So some of the things on this list are known gut irritants. And so sure. the the premise of the candida overgrowth is that it is overgrowing in the gut, but causing systemic problems. <laughs> but how is like... So you need to keep your gut healthy by avoiding alcohol and caffeine. Is okay. one of the recommended treatments, you know, cutting out parts of your intestine? No. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just cutting out your diet and giving yourself eating problems. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just checking. Yeah. You need to avoid yeast in your diet. So we already covered the gluten, but you can't have bread. You can't have beer. You can't have wine, which again, we already covered. beer and bread with candida? Well, this is the thing that doesn't make any sense. So anyone who has ever baked anything has probably come across the fact that the yeast that we use for brewing and baking is not even remotely close 
to the yeast that we're talking about here. Yes, they're both yeast. It's like saying the cactus and the palm tree are like the exact same plant. They are not. They they don't do the same thing. They work differently. Yeah, they're trees, kind of, or they're plants, but that's that. Far less closely related than a house cat to a tiger, or a house cat to a wolverine, or a house cat to a, like, a a worm, probably. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You have to avoid everything with yeast in it and everything made with yeast too. So this is where the question about fermented foods come in. So some people will say, well, a lot of fermented foods are made with mixed cultures of yeast and bacteria. So you need to avoid that because of the yeast. And other ones will say, oh no, the probiotics in it are really good for you. No bread, all kimchi. Right. But kimchi might have some yeast in it too. Same with the kombucha that they love to put on lists of okay foods and the kefir that's okay to have. Well, then we need to wash them first to get all the yeast out of them. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. And then, of course, you have to have the candida fighting foods like coconut oil, because what can't it do? (laughs) Um, Anything, really. (laughs) It makes a nice curry. Garlic, olive oil, of course. Uh, Somehow apple cider vinegar is a candida fighting food. Wait a minute. Wait, how is vinegar made? You take alcohol fermented with yeast (laughs) and then you ferment it again. So why is it that other vinegars are not cool, but this vinegar is okay? Because apple cider vinegar is made with with a fruit, a very sweet fruit, and it ends up with a very sweet vinegar. But remember, and and this is different from balsamic. How? (laughs) Sorry, Laura. Aging, aging. Yes. And remember the apple cider vinegar craze, though. Yes, exactly. That's it. Because they need to sell those supplements too. Mm -hmm. And their bottles of whatever apple cider vinegar they are selling. So of course, so you need to starve the yeast and then not add any additional completely unrelated yeasts to your body to treat this. And then some people also get themselves put on some pretty heavy duty antifungals as well and get very sick from it. Now those meds are really tough meds. You don't go on heavy duty antifungals if you don't need to. They will yeah. give you all the symptoms. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, and a yeast infection. Like, so antibiotics can be hard on your body, mostly because it disrupts the, the you know, your microbiome. Mm. But antifungals are incredibly hard on the body because unlike bacteria, which are prokaryotes, fungus, yeast, for example, is a eukaryote just like us. So it's much harder to target it specifically. <laughs> Yeah. With um, and you get a lot more collateral damage yes, of you human get a lot cells. More collateral damage. Yeah, and it, you usually have to be on it for a really long time if it's yeah. a true months and infection. months. That's <laughs> why in all of our tutorial sessions, the uh, uh, when we're talking when we're doing our infectious disease blocks, uh, the the lesson is always never go to Kenora K- because you'll come away with a fungal disease. Yeah. <laughs> This diet pattern, this low-starch, low-sugar diet pattern actually doesn't have any evidence that it changes the candida levels in the body. There was some older research that was highlighted in an excellent article by Melinda Wenner-Moyer that shows there's really little connection between the amount of sugar or carb intake and the gut population. So they had groups of people and they manipulated their carbohydrate intake and also their sugars in shape because some people will say it's just sugar. Other people will say it's all carbs together. And it really didn't change anything for those people. So we don't have good evidence that for people whose bodies are in homeostasis, that means that they're balancing pretty well. They're not particularly stressed or sick or something like that. 
their microbiome kind of takes care of itself in a lot of ways. And, and Canada is not going to be an issue. And there are normal fluctuations. And there are normal mm-hmm. fluctuations. And this is why things like a single stool sample may not be really reliable because it will depend on where in the gut. And the presence of Canada doesn't confirm anything. And also knowing your natural level may be different than someone else's, but it doesn't mean that you have an overgrowth or something that you need to then eradicate. But much like the diet changes and recommendations for adrenal fatigue, this type of diet pattern will probably make you feel better if you had a lot of things like caffeine and alcohol and, you know, highly processed foods in your diet, because you are probably going to get a bit more fiber and a bit more vitamins and minerals and just plant-based foods. And also, you'll probably get that placebo effect of feeling like I did something to take care of myself, therefore I feel better. I'm feeling different shitty, so that means I'm getting better. Exactly. Candida is normal. We all have it. You will know if you have an infection or if it is overgrowing. Otherwise, our current life and society sucks, and that's why we're all tired. <laughs> Capitalism. Oh. Well, thank you, everybody, for humoring me in this. I quite enjoyed hearing all about this tonight. Now, I want to shift gears to our something nice. Who would like to go first? So my something nice this month um, is working on my bike. I love cycling, and I unfortunately busted my bottom bracket uh, on my... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's all it takes? It's It's been a long day. Busted my bottom bracket. (laughs) Uh, On my good bike. And so I had to ride around my backup bike for a while, and... I discovered uh, that my bike had a, had one specific run of this bottom bracket that was only compatible with one specific crank set, and it was this whole thing. So I had to order a bunch of parts online, and I'm going to swap out the bottom bracket and crank set for a more universal setup so that I can tinker with it myself as needed. But in the meantime, uh, those parts have actually just arrived. Um, But in the meantime, what I did is I took my backup bike and traded it in for a worse backup bike and then bought a whole bunch of parts and and bike of Theseus style turned this worse bike into like a very nice sort of winterized road bike, which I'll use this winter and I'm also using right now while I get my other bike up and running. And it's just been really nice to rather than taking it into a shop to like get all the parts and do all the work myself. And it, there's just, it's just very satisfying to work with my hands that way and tackle a project that is specific, well-defined, well-bounded, and manageable. Uh, so that's 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 my something nice. I've been enjoying that. Also, the video game Control uh, from a couple years ago. Very good. <laughs> Only a couple years behind then. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Ashlyn? I recently celebrated my birthday, and I was able to have humans over in my yard, and it was awesome. There was music and hanging out, and not fire, because we have a fire band, so that was a bummer. Uh, But mostly it was great. It was wonderful. We're all vaxxed. I got to see my friends. And we're recording this in person, because we're all vaxxed and we're allowed. Yay! Woohoo! It is nice to be in the same room with you all again. This chair sucks, though. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was that or impale your feet on Lego all night. So <laughs> I didn't want to disturb the puzzle. Camping. We'll go with that one. 
camping was we went camping last weekend it was really lovely we brought our bikes for the first time that the kids really loved that so it was it was nice to have and we had lovely lovely weather for it and the kids had a great time so camping was camping was fun and we've got a couple more camping trips coming so that's my something nice going again this weekend awesome i have a lot of good memories of biking around campgrounds with my family Mm -hmm. nice lauren what's your something nice I don't know. <laughs> I love my wife very much. Wow. <laughs> She's your something nice. <laughs> Aww. I did your hair. Yeah. We talk about your hair even though people can't see it. Oh, you did it? Yeah, always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks great. Yeah. I assumed you had gone to... No. Yeah. I'm not letting a stranger near my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm still very much scared to leave my house. Yes. But yes, I am here. It's what sweet else? that you feel comfortable here. <laughs> There was the option of me being the only online participant, so. It is an option. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm here. Um, but yes, Ashlyn shaved the sides of my head again. My hair was getting um, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't because Ashlyn's mother complimented me on my mom hair. Yeah. <laughs> she it said, just happened to be the next day. That you it just happened that. to be the next day <laughs> that I had to shave the sides of my head. <laughs> because I'm turning 41 this month. We watched several, several hours of Games Done Quick this year, and that goes to support a good uh, charity, Doctors Without Borders, and we watched a lot of people play video games really fast, and that was cool. So fast. Cool. Like, like there was Yoshi's Story took, what, 15 minutes? Yeah. An entire video game in 15 minutes. Um, They also, at the end of a run where they had to do... All of the worlds in like the original Super Mario Brothers, yeah, uh, and get like a hundred percent of the stuff and everything. They did a one where they could do whatever they wanted, and it was like under three minutes or something. Absolutely yeah. absurd. <laughs> <laughs> but we also watched a two-hour beating Breath of the Wild. Yeah, like all of the big beasts in under mm-hmm. two hours. Oh, all of the beasts yeah. too, not just running straight again. No, yeah. oh, wow. You, you, there was certain conditions they had to yeah. meet. Yeah, yeah. It was all dungeons, not all shrines, which I thought I was yeah. going to get to watch. It was no. like, there's no way he no. can do this in two hours. No. He could not. <laughs> One hundred and twenty of them. Yeah, like, yeah. You couldn't get to. But all it was of them. still extremely impressive the tricks mm-hmm. that he pulled off. Did he do a uh, magnet levitation? Some of, yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of blowing himself up to get places. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did he call it? Bomb running or something? Bomb jumping? Yeah. I don't know. I was only half listening and... Boomy jumps. <laughs> Boomy jumps. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's a fun couple of weeks to watch. Is it, Oh, it's one week? It's, one it's week a fun week to watch. It felt longer. <laughs> I, I think it was like two weekends. Like a weekend to mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah. So, and they raised a ridiculous amount of money for MSF, so... Nice. Yeah. That's great. Was it three? Did it cross the three million mark, or was it just? It was like, right around there. Anyway, yeah, it was just shy it. of three yeah. million. Awesome, so, cool. Thank you for the reminder, Ashlyn, and thank you, Kaode, for uh, turning us on to games done quick. We had a cute yeah, little cool. chat with Kaode as we're going Thanks. through it. That reminds me, I've actually I, I started playing Star Wars Battlegrounds again, a two thousand one Star wow. Wars game with uh, a couple friends of mine who I used to play with. You know. In 2001. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 2003 or 2004, but yeah. Um, yeah, that, that game is super old. And it took, <laughs> it took my friend and I like three hours to get the rickety old netcode running. 
And now they don't want to play with me anymore. <laughs> well, that's just because Jem is not nice. He just constantly conquers and what wins by no, a lot. No, I am a perfectly peaceful player, but for some reason they keep attacking me and I need to teach them a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Ian? <laughs> it's, it's a rematch. You're getting a little tanky there, Newman. <laughs> just built a monument to the empire's greatness and for some reason they want to destroy it oh my god all right well thanks for sharing your something nice everybody and and thanks again for humoring me with all of this what are we going to talk about next month uh so i was looking through our archive from the past year and a bit because someone that I've known for a long time apparently had no idea that I do a podcast. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I should talk about this more, but also let's look through what we've done recently. And it has been over a year since we did a quiz show. Oh, yeah. It will be coming out in September. So that's almost a year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yay. Good idea, Ashlyn. Excellent. I look forward to it. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining me, and I look forward to our quizzes and questions next month. Thank you, Laura. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. night. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is produced by Jem Newman and Ashlyn Noble, with mix and tech production by Jem Newman. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Lauren Bailey.